We got Dirty Puppets. We have John Cho searching. And we're going to be talking about the best and worst movies of summer 2018. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. That's right. This is so much better than that movie that's coming out this weekend. I don't want to talk about that movie coming out this weekend. <laughs> I didn't see it because I wanted to see The Searching, which apparently was better. That's right. That's right. So, hello everyone. Welcome to LAOFCS Weekly, episode 4. I am Scott Menzel. I am the founder of this critics group. And joining me today are two wonderful critics. The first one is... Scott Mendelson from Forbes. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And the second one is Rama from Rama Screen. Rock on. Thank you so much. Uh, so where can they find you? Where can they read your stuff? You know, besides Forbes. Forbes. Well, really, I just, I'm lucky I just have one site. Forbes. Google <laughs> Scott Mendelson, Forbes, the ticket booth, whatever. Ramascreen.com, YouTube channel, and the website. Rama Screen is really just a press release site, so if you want to go there, uh, every single press release that comes out will be there. Make sure you check it out. Studios, just pay him to release your press releases. I mean it. It's the wire. Yes, it is. Rama Wire. That's what it should be. So um, how this show works, for those who have not seen it before, we are on episode four. You should go back and watch the other three. They're really good. Uh, a lot of different guests every week. And they're members of the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society. And what we do here is we're a segment show. There's four different segments. We have the movie pick of the week. We have Indie Spotlight. We have Retro Rewind. And then we talk about a special topic. This week's special topic is going to be summer movies since this is... One of the last weeks of the summer. I mean, it's it's sad. It's sad. All the kids went back to school and the traffic's back here in L.A. Um, so we're going to start off, like always, with the movie pick of the week. And how this works is we have a private Facebook group that the members of this organization, we all put out the movies that were released this week, and we vote on them. And this week's grand reveal for the movie pick of the week is... Searching! <laughs> searching! So, um, I saw Searching at Sundance, but I don't want to talk about it now because I've been talking too much. You guys, take it away. Scott, you want to start? Go ahead. Oh, uh, yes. I actually saw Searching a few days ago. I've been unable to attend the earlier press screenings for whatever reason or another, and I was looking forward to the film, A, because I like John Cho, and B, because I like... This new vein of, I guess you can call it desktop horror, um, <laughs> where you know basically the entire film unloads on a computer screen or on a smartphone or you know YouTube videos, and that's how the story is told through social media and through you know the internet. And of this relatively new genre, this is by far the best of the bunch. Uh, this is a terrific thriller. Um, it is very exciting it's very tense it's very moving it's a genuinely compelling character story um it's also very funny in a gallows humor sort of way <laughs> it's not afraid to be a little morbid you know here and there um it features a wonderful lead performance by john cho it features strong supporting work by deborah messing among others and it is one of my favorite major studio films of the summer 
It opens in nine theaters on Friday the 24th and goes wide on the 31st. And if you are one of those people that got involved in that hashtag starring John Cho thing a couple years ago, <laughs> you have no excuse. There you go. <laughs> Perfectly said. How about you, Rama? I couldn't agree more. I mean, this whole thing with the desktop horrors, well, they call it screen life. I, I guess that's a technical point. But uh, I, I, the, the, the difference between unfriended and searching is that unfriended you know, puts the story in the back seat. Or searching, you know, they, they built the screen life or desktop horror thing around the story. And the story is solid. I love that. And um, uh, the, 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 thrill, the thriller part of it, it's like playing a puzzle. You know, trying to piece it together, and you know, it, it takes you to one lead to the next lead, and the leads are not there to distract you; they're actually there to peel the layers and reveal more and more about the characters as you go. And with each revelation comes, you know, like an emotional self-realization that that adds to the already sophisticated film, in my opinion. And on top of that, of course, John Cho gives an, uh, an excellent performance. And it's refreshing as an Asian myself, you know, to see John Cho, a leading man in a movie that doesn't hammer the Asian angle. He's just a character, and I love that. And uh, I think he, he has proven himself with Colum- Columbus and this one, that um, he is as impeccable as any other leading man in Hollywood. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think watching this movie felt like a very special experience. Um, seeing it at Sundance, seeing John Cho's reaction after the movie, he, he cried. After the the screening, he's you know he he was he saw like the way he put it was I see my family up there and they, it wasn't thrown down your face you know down your throat it's it's not something where they're like oh here's Asians here's Asians in the lead role it was just a natural story it was never mentioned once and John Cho I always believe was very underrated even when he was in movies like Har- Harold and Kumar. I feel like he had a lot more talent than they were giving him. Um, I, I love a little show that he did called Selfie. I don't know if you guys ever saw that. Uh, really great in that. And Columbus, he was just incredible in that. Another very underrated movie. But this movie, the way that it's told through technology is is compelling. And the use of how they do it, like it's just the transitioning seems very natural. Like you forget after a while that you're watching things through technology, which I think is a remarkable feat for the director. And this doesn't seem like a gimmick movie. Like where I watched unfriended, I would say that it kind of feels like a gimmick, you know, like you were saying, because that it's, it's the story second place, but here you can see that the characters and the story are really at the forefront of this movie. Um, and I just, I think, just like you, Scott, I think this is one of the best movies of the summer and possibly the year. Um, what impressed me about the picture is how it uses its specific medium to basically have very subtly detailed specific plot points in a way that because they're so subtle, because they're, you know, for example, a Google Calendar thing being deleted you know, it hits you that much more. I mean, this is a very poignant motion picture. I'm not going to give away any kind of spoilers or something, but it starts with a montage that establishes the core characters and establishes the core conflicts in a way that it's not the exact same thing, but it reminds me of Pixar's Up yeah, and is about as successful in that yeah. sense. Um, so you're, you know, with the first several minutes of the movie, you're invested. You know, you... So as a result, you're not just involved because of the thriller tropes and the potential for, I mean, obviously, you know, 
spoilers, I guess there are no jump scares in this film. It's right, not that right, kind of right. picture. But you know, you are engrossed because you want a happy ending. Um, you like the best horror films, like the best thrillers. You are rooting against action. You are rooting against, you know, the thriller genre tropes occurring to these people who you very much like. Um, and I was very impressed, and you hit upon this as well. You know, as the film goes on, he uses the internet and he uses his daughter's personal computer and his computer to discover things about his daughter and discover things about his family. But even the things that turn out to be red herrings or irrelevant to the overall mystery turn out to be very important to the character journey. Yeah. So even though in terms of, you know, the big reveals, there might be some information that didn't quite matter to that, everything in this movie matters in terms of the character journey and in terms of the character development. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I also have to say that I'm glad you pointed out the thing about Up because I think a lot of people felt that way about this movie. And it just, it has this very natural way of moving, um, reeling you in, so to speak. You're you're immediately hooked as soon as the movie starts. It, it feels like an experience that most of us have felt before. We, we remember what it was like getting our first computer, signing up for AOL, going on dial-up, you know, using a calendar. It's just, there's just stuff about that that just feels very natural, and, and it, it's almost nostalgic. And then when you get into the relationship details about looking at photos, family photos, and you, you see all the stories, and it's amazing how powerful someone moving a script to the trash can is. Yeah. Like, like, it's like, okay, a Word document that goes in the trash can, and yet you're, like, on, on the verge of tears. Well, and that's what I think these kind of movies can do so well. And I'm not even just talking about desktop horror. I'm talking about, I, I mean, and I don't know the official term, but what I consider to be very claustrophobic horror, where you have something like Signs or Pontypool, that where I have this you know, huge, gigantic event occurring from a very small point of view. I remember the opening night of Signs, where you had a, v, a, a fuzzy VHS tape of a child's birthday party, where this alien shows up. And in any other conventional movie, you know, it's not the world's best special effect. It's certainly not the world's best image quality because, again, you're watching a VHS tape shot on a VHS. But the entire audience went nuts. Yeah. And you can use this kind of filmmaking to hit big with very small moments. Um, and that's what this film does over and over and over again, both in terms of suspense, in terms of revelation, and in terms of poignancy. And... You know, I like Unfriended quite a bit. I, I, you know, I liked it as a funhouse horror picture. I think it uses the internet as a ticking clock of doom very well. I'm not as big as Unfriended 2, but whatever. But this film, you know, really takes it to another level. Yeah. And this is a remarkable motion picture, both because of and despite of its format. Yeah. No, I agree. Rami, you have any closing words for that? Yeah, but uh, I want to raise a question. Do you think, you know, that, like we had the 3D frenzy with a post-conversion 3D, and then we had a found footage frenzy. Do you think this is going to be just another face that comes and goes? Uh, I don't know. I know there are... I can never pronounce his name, but the producer of this film who directed... Timur. Thank you. Yeah. Um, he, He's going to cool about it. Yeah, he really wants to turn this to a, a subgenre of its own. Mm -hmm. And I think... I don't know if there's going to be a huge audience for people to see, you know, a romantic comedy on your desktop or, you know, an action thriller on your desktop. Um, Good point. 
I don't know. I mean, it's 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 certainly tough to convince people to pay twenty bucks to sit and watch somebody's computer for two for an hour and a half. Yeah, it really um, is. But I think for now, you know, the movies that we are getting in this genre, this subgenre, are interesting. Even the bad ones. Yeah, and I this agree. is this is. This is great. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a fantastic film. I can't highly, I can't recommend it enough. I think Love it's it. it's one of the best movies of the year. Like I said before, um, we do a rating system here. Um, out of ten, what would you give it? Nine. Ten. Ten. Yeah. Oh, perfecto. I'm going nine. I'm going nine as well. So that's that's three really highly recommended reviews from us here. So moving on to our next topic, we're going to start with indie spotlight. And uh, Rama, you take the uh, floor. Sure, sure. Um, real quick, uh, my indie spotlight is this little movie called An L.A. Minute by director Daniel Adams. Um, I interviewed him last week at The Junket. Cool guy. And it stars um, Gabriel Byrne and Kirsty Clemens. Love Gabriel Byrne, of course. <laughs> Love him as, as the, the devil in uh, End of Days. And so he plays this uh, author, of, uh, successful author, that gets a bit, you know, jaded about his success. So that he he meets this homeless girl, Kirsty Clemens, who's into performance art. And so he's like, you know what? I, I want to find a deeper purpose, you know, higher meaning. And she's helping him through that journey, while everybody else around him's like, what are you doing with this girl? She's just trying to get fifty minutes out of uh, fifty minutes of fame out of you, stuff like that. So, uh, filmmaking standpoint, it's not, you know, the best quality. I want to say like the the dialogue, it's a bit rigid and awkward at times. And the director spends too much time on montage of the montage of the montage. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, we get the point. Okay, we get the point. Um, but it's one of those movies that means well. So, it's, you know, we talked about earlier about middle ground. This is like middle ground okay. to me. And, you know, and, and it brings up themes and points about income inequality in L.A. and homelessness and what can be, what can be done about that. And I think that resonates well with a lot of people, especially Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> What's yeah. your pick for this week? Well, as summer comes to a close, I wanted to give a shout-out to a movie that didn't do poorly, but I wish it had gotten a little bit more attention, which is Hearts Beat Loud. Oh, it yes. also stars Kiersey Clemens, along with uh, Nick Offerman and Love Tony Collette. And fantastic. it you know, it had the misfortune to open against uh, the much buzzier Won't You Be My Neighbor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but it is just a really solid, sweet, empathetic character drama. Um, it is about a a man whose daughter's about to go to college, and he's been trying to make a living as either a musician or a seller of music in an old school record store that's about to close. And through machinations that I'm going to let the movie explain, uh, he and his daughter end up recording a song that goes just viral enough to give them a little, give him a little bit of hope that you know maybe this is my big break that I've been waiting on, and. I'm not going to, you know, detail the various character conflicts, and there aren't a lot of surprises in this film, but it's very sweet. It's very well acted. The songs are wonderful. I mean, the key song, Hearts Beat Loud, is about as good as that thing you do in terms of it works even though you hear it several times throughout the film, and it is good enough that you can believe that that song has earned them that level of acclaim and fame and what have you. Um... And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very unassuming picture. Um, and I'm not going to pretend that it won't play about as well on your HDTV as it would in theaters. <laughs> but it'll be on VOD and DVD soon. And it's a lovely little picture. Oh. Yeah, I, I love that movie, too. Uh, I wish more people saw it. Um, 
not to put anyone down on this, but like I really tried to get everyone in our group to see that movie. And the studio, unfortunately, was not very helpful with that. And uh, I wanted everyone to see it because I felt like it had a lot of potential. And they would only schedule two screenings. And, you know, when I said, like, hey, we do this, you know, we're going to be doing a show. We're going to do a movie pick of the week. They were just kind of like, oh, well, they didn't see it. They didn't see it. So uh, I felt like that was very unfortunate because Brett Haley is a very talented director. Um, I'll See You in My Dreams was an incredible film, too. Um, the hero was kind of, eh, I was like a little, I was not a big fan of that either. You didn't like it either, Scott? No. And then this one was like his, I really redeemed himself with this movie. And I just thought that Nick Offerman and Kirstie Clemens were just magical together. I could not agree with you more about the soundtrack. The music is just, it's just incredible. It gets stuck in your head. You sing it for days. I mean, it's, it's just great music. And, um, the story is just really sweet. You know, it's not reinventing the wheel, but it's, it's just delightful and yep. feel good and you know Hopefully. the reason why people want to go to the movies mm-hmm. you know that's the reason why because they just want to smile and have a good time and feel good and uh, i really did really did enjoy that. that's probably one of my favorites too if i'd like if i can add something that connects this film to searching is that it is inclusive slash diverse in a very offhand Thank no you. commentary Thank kind you. of way. Yes. Uh, this isn't a spoiler, but uh, Kiersey Clemens plays a an out lesbian who is in a relationship with an actress who's... Sasha, Sasha Lane. Sasha Lane, yes. Thank you. Who actually I just saw in The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which is pretty good, too. Yeah. Um, and what I find, unfortunately, and this is something I whine about all the time, people will show... I find that people are more willing to embrace quote-unquote diversity when that's the reason for the season... But when you have a film that just happens to have a multicultural cast or just happens to have a couple gay characters in it, they don't show up. Yeah. And then those same people complain that, oh, Hollywood isn't being diverse, Hollywood isn't being inclusive. I think there's a lot of people, especially people with a a microphone online, that when they talk about diversity and inclusivity, they only mean it for the movies that they were going to see anyway. Yes, I completely agree. Um, You know... I felt that way about this uh, searching as well. I felt that way about this movie. Uh, another movie that I did feel this way also about, and this is no one really saw this movie, but I enjoyed it, was Dog Days. I feel like Dog Days was a very natural, diverse cast, too. You know, everyone in that film. Like, I mean, they had, you know, Rob Condry with uh, Eva Longoria as a family. They adopt a, a kid, you know, a mixed race. Like, that was great. They had Nina Dovrev and uh, Tone Bell, you know, as a multiracial couple. I mean, I, I thought sometimes I feel like when studios and when movies just do it naturally it comes across so much better because it it doesn't feel like they're shoving it down your throat and i mean i I, not that again not that i'm against crazy rich asians and i think crazy rich asians is good for what it is but it was like the whole build-up of this is like you gotta do you gotta see this movie 25 (laughs) years it hasn't been done before you gotta do you know and just like that's all i heard about and like i think and i mean you you know this more than i do scott is that for like the first two weeks leading up to that release every freaking time i typed that movie title in, it's like all the articles were like there a lot is riding on crazy rich asians a lot is riding on crazy rich asians and it's kind of like but what about searching and what about the net uh, i forgot the netflix movie uh, that all, kept all the boys i've loved yeah, yeah yeah like what so about good. something like that like just yeah. stuff where it's not heavily pu- publicized well and the other thing is you know and i argued that even if crazy rich asians had flopped the next one still would have gotten made. It would have been on Netflix. 
it was up to Hollywood and Warner Brothers to prove that the filmmakers were right to turn out that big Netflix money for a major theatrical release. And that's to me, is the big win for that picture, is that it shows that, yes, there's still an audience who will go to theaters to see what is otherwise a mainstream, crowd-pleasing romantic comedy yeah. slash family melodrama. Um, and it, you know, it, the examples I always give is it drives me nuts when, you know, if you oh, wow, a female James Bond. Did you see Atomic Blonde? You know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. You know, Spielberg said he might do a female Indiana Jones. Did you see Tomb Raider? No. <laughs> I saw Black Panther for the eighth time. Well, yeah. then you're the problem. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so honest, Scott. So honest. Um, my pick for this is actually going up against the movie that you were saying uh, got all the attention, independent wise, for the week that. Hearts Be Loud came out, which is how to, don't, Won't You Be My Neighbor. Uh, absolutely adored this film. I think uh, another one of the best movies of the year, in my opinion. I think it's currently number two on my list. Um, you know, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, as I'm sure millions of people did, but I never realized at the time how much of a rebel he was and how much of a game changer he was like how how he really just fought for people and children to be seen as one and not to be talked down to and to be treated with respect and just watching this movie it's not something where there's a few things you learn about the movie but like it's just like a reassurance like there's good people out there and this guy was so good and he just he didn't care what color you were he didn't care what what age you were it, it just—it was just a natural thing that I feel like is really missing from today's society. Just good, genuine people that just wanted the best for everyone, and uh, it's a really heartwarming movie, uh, especially the last five minutes where our, something happens and they ask you to kind of like close your eyes and think about someone. And I mean, it, I, I think every person at that point had to t- at least tear up if they didn't cry when you know, watching it. I, so what's awesome about him is. Um, well, after watching that documentary, like like you said, you know, uh, he sticks it to the man, but not in a way like rock and roll kind of heavy metal. You know, yeah. That I grew up with, you know, he sticks it to the man in the realm of goodness and kindness. That's how he, he shows his middle finger to to the establishment. I, I love that. It's so it's so um, how do you call that? Uh, uh, not like everybody else at that time. Yeah, it's it's ambitious. He's in, he was ambitious at the time. You know, yeah. he was he was someone who went against the grain. You know, it's amazing that he worked for a TV station for so long, you know, the other show that's very popular on PBS is Sesame Street, which of course is all about merchandising, right? Like it's like, go to Sesame Place, buy the Elmo doll, whatever. And, you know, Mr. Rogers was not like that at all. You know, he had puppets that they probably could have sold, but he didn't want that to happen. You know, like they had the whole land of make-believe people, you know, and I loved learning about how those characters were part of him. I, I didn't realize that watching that as a kid, and I thought it was really almost eye-opening to see, like, they were a reflection of his personality when he felt sad, when he felt angry. And I thought that was, like, such a unique way and such a creative way for him to kind of share with the world how he was really feeling through these these puppets. And if he was still around today, he would have had his own YouTube channel, podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he sure <laughs> would have. <laughs> I think that was also a sad part about the movie was that when they showed the aspect of 9/11 uh-huh. and and he just he just didn't have it in him anymore. He did, like he he almost it almost felt at that point like he lost hope, like he he was felt defeated. And uh that part was like not as 
in depth as I would have liked in this movie. That's probably like my one criticism. I would have loved a little bit more of that that story there, what happened. But you could just see it when he was talking and when he was addressing everyone. Like he was sad, but he felt def- defeated. He just he didn't know what to do. But I I really recommend this film. I think it's it's a terrific film, and it'll remind you to be kind to one another which I think is the most important and, thing. And according to one of the quotes on the poster, it's one of the best documentaries of the year, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Who's the idiot that said that? <laughs> I hope it's nobody named Scott M. Because that would be really embarrassing for me. Uh, I, I enjoyed the film quite a bit. My only issue, and this has nothing to do with the movie itself, is mm. that, and I've struggled with this a lot over the last couple of years, is that I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking, this is either going to be seen entirely by the converted, or it's going to be, you know, you have to reckon the idea that an entire generation of people that grew up on Mr. Rogers then went and voted for Donald Trump. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's, it's, you know, remind you of the good, you know, the need is to be good. Blah, blah, blah. You know what? People are very good at convincing themselves that they're not the villain. Yes. Um, and again, that's that's not the movie's fault. I think it's a very good picture. Uh, you're right. The last five minutes are very poignant. Um but it, it's something, you know, it's, it's, I've wrestled out with a lot of popular entertainment over the last few years. I always perhaps naively assumed that socially conscious popcorn entertainment would create socially conscious citizens. And that might not be the case. And what do you do with that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, a it's a good point. And I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of speaking that same point. It's, when I watch a Michael Moore movie, for example, he's talking to me. Yeah. You know, like I know, like that. I believe in his politics. I believe in what he's saying. It's not like I can tell my aunt, "Hey, go watch the Michael Moore movie. It's going to change your mindset on anything." <laughs> you know, like you're still going to, you know, vote for Donald Trump anyhow. You know, like it's. It, I I agree with what you're saying <laughs> yeah. with that. It's it's like we want to believe sometimes that movies. Um, are going to do this, that they're going to reestablish something or they're going to bring good into the world. And, and the harsh reality of that is is that as much of a, of a nice message or how much it may showcase, like, this is what you should be doing, the sad thing is is that the people who are... People are the way that they are. Yeah. And it's very hard for people to change unless something really... Uh, really devastating happens to them or like there's something really eye-opening happens to them directly. You know, you can't force someone and say like, look what Michael Moore said, look what this, you know, Mr. Rogers said, and this is why you should be this way. Like, it doesn't work, work. unfortunately. (laughs) I mean, kudos to Hollywood for trying. I give them credit, but... Well, to a certain extent, it may be affecting the younger population. And assuming we all don't die from climate change before they have a chance to take control, <laughs> then, you know, in the long run, it might be worthwhile. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, we have an entire populace that spent $340 million on Zootopia and then voted for Donald Trump. There you go. <laughs> he's really, I mean, he's on point. My God. He's like, he's like that was one of the biggest movies of the year, and Donald Trump is still in office. Thank you very much. Drop the mic. Done. These are deep thoughts by Scott Mendel. Yes, pretty much. Uh, it's, it's something that I've, I've struggled I with the last few years. I love it. Because, you know, I like to champion the idea that movies about, you know, important issues can't make a little bit of a difference. I'm not so naive as I was in, you know, 2000 when we all thought the traffic was actually going to make a difference in the drug war. Oh, yeah. But 
you know, now it's like, so what? This, you know, I, I almost, you know, it's, it's hard for me to care about what a movie is about anymore to a certain extent because I know that the only people that are going to get the message are people that already got the message. It's a very good point. It's, yeah, we're, really we're going to be the ones writing that article and saying, yeah. like, this is the message of this movie. You know, it's not like everyone else is going to take that home. And, and another point that I think we should bring up real quick is that it's always these smaller movies that, like, barely, like, anyone really sees. Yeah. And only the people in big cities where they're already established like this people in la and new york and austin and chicago and boston places where this is already like acceptable like we're, we're not saying that racism doesn't live there and that there's not some hidden yeah. degree of it but it's much more progressive than you know showing it in kentucky or you know some states some areas of texas or something like that so anywho um moving on to our retro rewind section uh scott what do you got for us Oh, um, something older. Oh, okay, that works. That you would like to recommend—a throwback of sorts. Well, let me go and because I just recently rewatched it, and it's somewhat timely, which is Rob Zombie's Halloween. Oh, not a good movie, but <laughs> uh, eleven years after it opened, it's an interesting film in that I, I have a little a little bit more fondness for it because of how much it tries to do its own thing, and how much it, even though it's a remake. It doesn't want to cash in on nostalgia. It doesn't want to make the fans happy. If anything, you know that's 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 one of the reasons why it's been so pillared over the last eleven years. I mean, the movie has its own issues. It basically crams the entire Halloween in the forty-five minute second act. But you know, when you compare this, the glut of horror remakes that we got from around two thousand three to two thousand ten-ish, give or take, that was sort of the one that was really just. You know, what can I do that's different with this material? And, you know, I'm curious to see what the new Bloomhouse Halloween film is going to do. You know, how are they going to do their own thing while very obviously catering to the fan base? Mm -hmm. You know, is it going to be another Force Awakens situation where it's a glorified remake? Yeah. Then, of course, the second Halloween, David Gordon Green, will be a masterpiece that the Internet will convince you that you ate. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Rama, what's your picks? Uh, yeah, real quick, um... Jack Ryan Collection came out on Blu-ray 4K as well uh, this past August 21st, uh, this past week. And so I'm a big fan of the franchise. I think I want to say I was Patriot Games number one for me, and then Clear and Present Danger, and then Hunt for Red October, The Sum of All Fears, and then that Chris Pine one is the last one, I, uh, my least favorite. Uh, but I like the character, big fan of it. I'm, that's why I'm looking forward to this new series. I've, I've read some of the reviews that came out. They, some of them said... The action's good, but the drama misfires. I, I was like, "Oh, that's intriguing." So I'm, I'm, I think John Krasinski looks um, looks the part. So yeah, but yeah, the movies come out and uh, very nostalgic for me. Part of part of my growing up. Yeah. yeah. So Clear Prince of Danger is a dynamite action it drama. It is. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I don't like to get the whole movies were better here or there, or whatever. But by today's standards, that would be an Oscar contender. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? In terms of its sprawling scope, in terms of its, you know. Again, you know, the, the somewhat progressive politics that you think would be changing hearts and minds, but now you know they're not. Um, and I am curious to see the new Jane, uh, uh, John Ryan. Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan, sorry. No Jack Ryan show because, I mean, and I felt this way watching Sicario too, which I was not a fan of. It's like putting aside the racial issues of, you know, righteous white dudes running after Middle Eastern terrorists – is that really topical anymore? Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard our current administration use the word ISIS in a long time. <laughs> and 
unless you're very entrenched into the you know quote unquote red state, that's not something you're particularly worried about anymore. No, you know it's 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 I have to you know it's Hollywood's going to have to figure out how to make of the moment action thrillers about today's threats, whatever those might be. And I think that's why you're having you're hearing about such problems on the new James Bond film. Is you know how do you make a James Bond film when, for all intents and purposes, the president is a third-rate Bond villain? <laughs> I mean, America failed so badly that the most resilient blockbuster was GI Joe Retaliation. The re- the reason why I like Patriot Games of all the Jack Ryan movies is because that's one of the many movies, and I guess it makes me cheesy that uh, you know, Harrison Ford is known as the guy. Who's, who rescues his family. Yeah. That, that, that's, his, that's all his movies. <laughs> Patriot Games was one of them. Yeah. And it was entertaining for me. Oh, no, it's a very... Uh, that I that I like a, Clear Brothers Danger better. Where's my family? Patriot Games is still very good. <laughs> and again, it, it is... There is a certain nostalgia for that, yeah. you know, unapologetic, big-budget, star-driven, R-rated, very violent mm. uh, action picture. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was sort of the start of his... From around 1992 to around 2000, from Patriot Games to... Uh, what Lies Beneath. Yeah. He had a run oh where it God, wasn't yeah. just Han Solo and Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Air no. Force One. Yeah. The Fugitive Air Force yeah. One. Yeah. Uh, Sahara, Six Days, Seven Nights. Yeah. I even like Random Hearts. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that one. Most people have. Yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> um, for me, I'm actually going to go a little bit off the, uh, the action horror movies there. I'm going to go to a little indie for this one as well. Uh, a movie that I absolutely love uh, short Term 12, which is actually oh. celebrating an anniversary today. And um, Brie Larson, this this one I think is the one that kind of made her into the spotlight. Pushed her into the spotlight, yeah. said, hey, this girl, she's got talent. She's mm. got talent. Not only her, but John Gallagher Jr., uh, Lakeith Stanfield was also in this. Um, just a really great cast and a really emotional movie about... A group of young people who, you know, worked in the foster care unit and taking care of kids who, you know, were from broken families and broken households. And it just was very raw and emotional. And uh, it still holds up. It's still one of my favorite movies of all time today. And um, it's it's available on DVD and Blu-ray. So if you haven't seen it, I do highly recommend checking it out. Did you guys see this? Oh, yeah. It's a modern classic. Yeah. That was after she did Spectacular Now, right? That was it was the same year. Yes. The same, same year. Yeah, she was a supporting role in that one. Yeah, yeah. and she also it's, was in uh, Don John that's that right. year where she – best performance. Like legit, she just sat on the phone the entire time and it spoke volumes, right? Like the entire movie. She's like <laughs> – Loved her. Yeah, she's and I mean it's it's funny because um you know she's going to be in Captain Marvel now mm-hmm. but I'm I'm so glad that she seems like an actress that's going to keep going back and forth between big movies and small movies you know she had a her little uh movie that she directed called Uni- Unicorn Store which I don't know what's going on with that movie uh I saw it at Toronto last year I really enjoyed it I know it it opened to mixed reviews but I thought it was a nice light and fluffy movie a nice fun movie um I'm surprised with her push right now that they haven't tried to put it out just to see if like it works maybe they'll put it out after yeah Yeah. so but I do I do highly recommend it Um, so we got about 10 minutes left and we're going to talk about this summer Uh, so before we go into like what you thought were your favorites your least favorites disappointments you know things of that nature um, overall how did you think this summer compared to last summer go ahead brother Uh, this is the most satisfying summer in a while. I, I liked last summer. 2016 was terrible. Um, <laughs> that was 2010 era bad. Um, 
But this summer, I mean, week in, week out, most of the movies were some variation of good. You know, Jurassic World was a solid three-star programmer with, you know, a big scope, a great IMAX screen. Uh, Avengers Infinity War was another solid Marvel picture. Um, Ocean's 8 was a lot of fun. Um, I'm completely drunk. Oh, Ant-Man and the Wasp was good. The first Purge was at least as good as the other Purge films. <laughs> and, you know, it, it sort of, you know, it sort of took the franchise to its natural conclusion, which it's basically a slightly more crowd-pleasing version of Rosewood. Yeah. Which works as basically, you know, a racial revenge fantasy, a righteous racial revenge fantasy. Um, and of course, there were a ton of, you know, again, righteously angry movies for and by black audi- black people. Uh, Sorry to Bother You, Black Klansmen, Blindspotting, which kind of fell under the radar because it was a less fantastical picture. Um, I agree. I agree. And it just, it's, it's, there were very few out and out terrible movies this summer. Uh, the indies were good. Uh, you had uh, Hearts Beat Loud, Won't You Be My Neighbor, uh, uh, Three Identical Strangers. I mean, how does a movie like that make $10 million in 2018? I know, I know. I mean, you know, whether or not Movie Pass survives, I mean, that that's, it, you know, this summer showed that people will go to the movies to see a wealth of different kinds of movies you know, if you remove the ticket price from the equation, that's true. That's true. Um, I mean, you can. I mean, another one you can throw in the equation. Uh, something that I didn't think was that great, but I know a lot of people really did enjoy was Book Club. I yeah. thought that was going to bomb horribly. No, it did like five times its opening weekend. I know. I couldn't it's believe it. Okay, I, I, I enjoyed the cast. So you enjoyed the movie. Yeah. Um, Paramount. I mean. Paramount had a good summer. I know. When does that happen? They had a good year. Yeah. Parent, like, it's like they open with Quiet Place and yeah. like they're rocking and rolling this uh, year. I mean, yeah, they dumped Action Point, but they dumped Action Point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even something like Upgrade that did $11 million, which is great oh. for BH Tilt. And they're probably going to get a sequel out of that so if they good. want one. Yeah. You know, that is, you know, they spent 10 years trying to reboot the crow. <laughs> here you go. Upgrade. Yeah. You know, it's, you got your franchise right here. Uh, that's right. That's um, right. And no, it's it's and almost everything did relatively well box office wise. You know, Skyscraper was disappointing in North America, did okay mm-hmm. overseas. Solo was a little disappointing in North America, got crushed overseas. But otherwise, you know, everything almost everything did some variation of good. I mean, you know, leave no trace with significantly less buzz, significantly less press and Oscar attention than Winter's Bone made almost as much as Winter's Bone this summer. I know it's pretty incredible. Um, so, I mean, for the first time in a while, I'm optimistic. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Rama? Oh, I couldn't agree more. It's, she, I mean, uh, the whole thing that... Uh, he's on point today, isn't yeah, he? Like, I feel, like, <laughs> like, I'm like, he's on fire today. I'm he like, took, he took the words out of my speeches. mouth. Yeah, oh my God. She, um, uh, I'm like stumbling over my words every time I talk <laughs> after listening to him. I'm going... I was looking at the list uh, earlier of the summer movies 2018, trying to point out what I like, what I hated. I couldn't find too many that I hated. Uh, probably Hotel Artemis. I, I hated the spy who dumped me, but for the most part, I was like, oh, like, 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 like. And of course, I'm the only, probably the only uh, person here probably would say that uh, Mission Possible Fallout is way better than Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> it's a great action film that I would watch again and again. So that's that's my top. Yeah. I think Mission Impossible only falters in comparison to Rogue Nation and the other some of the other ones that I like a little bit better. yes, yes but, I agree. on its own yeah. you know the same thing about you know uh, uh, Avengers Infinity War by yeah. any other you know by any other qualification <laughs> that was an excellent picture but there are better Marvel movies right um, that is that is true Mamma Mia was fun I like this you know I'm, I'm a sucker for meat and potatoes so I like the spy who dumped me <laughs> I liked Hotel Armas um, 
uh, Skyscraper I did not like. Just really? I thought, I thought it was a very weak Die Hard knockoff. Oh. I mean, how do you make a Die Hard ripoff and th- forget to have a decent villain? That should yeah. be the first I mean, I agree you with you on that. I mean, I, I really enjoyed Skyscraper, but yeah. I think for Dwayne Johnson and I yeah. just and, and, and Nev Campbell. I thought yes. both of them were great in the movie. And, um, you know, then when I saw Mission Impossible, I think it was like almost a week later. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of like when you look at the quality of the film in terms of the action, because mm-hmm. when you're watching Mission Impossible and you're watching Tom Cruise go bananas like he always does. <laughs> evil to evil. You know, like you're watching that and you're kind of like, well, shit, this is not this is nowhere near as no. good. You know, like this is so much better than Skyscraper just on the this, the action and the stunts and like the fact that he's actually doing it. It's not green screen. It's not a building like he's like hanging off the edge of a freaking yeah. helicopter and, you know, on the cliff, so whatever. Um <laughs> I, I, you know, Paramount, I think, is, is in terms of being the crowd-pleasing year for them, I think they got this shit on lockdown. Mm-hmm. I mean, with Quiet Place and then this movie, uh, with Mission Impossible, I mean, you, I don't think they could have asked for a better year so far. And even, book, I mean, Book Club was them too, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 That was a $10 million acquisition. It's done, I think, 70 domestic. So there you go. I mean, they really, really, uh, they really slayed it. I, I, there were a couple weak ones, in my opinion. I, I thought, you, you mentioned this earlier to me, Mile 22, I thought was, was really, really bad. Uh, choppy. I mean, this is. I mean, I know Peter Berg loves that like editing, splicing, and let he oh. does. But my, God, this is like incoherent. Yeah, like, the first half is is. Well, you, they basically stop at the second half so John Malkovich can explain everything. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, so that was just as simple as I thought it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's like there's no character development. You don't care about anyone. Like they put all these act like Ronda Rousey's in the movie. She's in there for like five ten minutes. They give her playing Ronda Rousey. Yeah, and they give her nothing to do whatsoever. Yeah. It's it's so lazy and, they, and they, they, generic. They, they stitch together all uh, all these footages to get Eco Wise's fighting style. In you know, it's like yeah. come on, just go wide and you know let him do what he does best. Yeah, that's my opinion. Oh, uh, another weak one for me, I thought was Superfly. I, I, I missed that one. I, I said, I'm the only one who saw it, so there you go. That goes to show you how either. good it was. Uh, show Dogs was terrible. Oh yeah, that Show was dogs I took was one terrible. to the team and saw that one just so I could write about the ridiculous controversy. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. What, uh, the, what was what, what was was it? The, 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 oh, the, the fondle. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I totally blocked that movie in the back of my mind already. It's. Um, I know you you enjoyed uh, Darkest Minds and the Meg, but those two were on my worst of the summer. Uh, Equalizer two was a slight disappointment. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh, man, I uh, thought that was a great sequel. I actually missed enough. that one. That's yeah. the one I missed. Um, I like the first one. I generally like his, you know, I, you know, I call it Denzel Washington Righteous Revenger Man. <laughs> um, but this to me was, you know, after the first half and the plot kicked into gear, there was mm. no story left to be told. Mm. Yeah. Um, and there were no real emotional character stakes in the finale. It fair was enough, just, fair hey, look, there's the bad guys. Let's go kill them. Yeah. What was the for you guys? What was the biggest surprise? That the Meg did well. <laughs> that 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 I'm still shaking. Yeah, I'm scratching my head right now because I'm still wondering how that happened. Because it's better than skyscraper. 
<laughs> you heard me, Johnson. The Meg is better than Skyscraper. You Dang. know where to find me. Yeah. My, my surprise was actually Skyscraper. <laughs> I, I was expecting the worst, but then I went in, I was like, oh, this it is not bad. <laughs> I actually enjoy this campy stuff. So, But you're right, you're right. The villain was... was well, was just, a lot of the weak. elements, you know, there weren't, weren't any colorful supporting characters. Yeah. There weren't... A, there weren't that many hostages in peril. Mm. Um, it just felt like, you know, even if it's supposed to be like a disaster movie, like the Towering Inferno or something, you know, there were no, you know, there were very few people that need to be rescued. You know, there's this weird thing with Dwayne Johnson's films. I mean, you know, maybe just two or three, you know, San Andreas for that, where you prevent the, you present these, he's a hero in this disaster scenario, but he saves no one except his family. Yeah. yeah. And he goes out of his way not to save anyone but his family. Yeah. I gotta give a, Mad props to the prosthetic leg, though. That that could hold him up like that. Well, it was a nice character detail. <laughs> My pick, I would just say, and then we got to wrap. Unfortunately, this show always goes by so fast. Oh, I, I love I love this show, and and I and I want it to be like two hours, but unfortunately, the studio doesn't give me two hours of time. Um, my pick, though, is Alpha. I just thought that was a really underrated film, uh, and I'm glad that you know more and more people are talking about it. I'm glad that it's getting decent reviews. Um, and yeah, so that was it for summer movie season. I agree with you guys. I think it was a pretty great summer overall. Yeah. Uh, really impressed by it. Um, so as our closing remarks, uh, where can anyone find you guys? And uh, go ahead, plug away. Forbes.com. You know, the ticket booth is the unofficial name of my blog. Um, my Twitter handle is at Scott Mendelson. I have a Facebook page. And I have other stuff, but don't try to find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> Facebook, Facebook, and Twitter. That's that's. You don't need to find my Flipbook account. Um, but yeah, yeah Forbes dot com, Scott Mendelson, yada yada yada. And if you find typos, I apologize. Private message, please. Yes. Real quick, uh, before the the plug, I, I'm a big fan of Scott Mendelson. I'm a big fan of his writings. So you know, but so Scott sitting next to me is like Muhammad Ali sitting next to Weird Al Yankovic. So, just honored to be. He is right the Muhammad Ali of parody singing and mimicry. So, thank you so much for the. For well, the time. I really that's sweet. I really appreciate that. Uh, Rama Screen on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Find me there. Yeah, pretty much. That's it. So you can find me at WeLiveInEntertainment.com. You can find me also on Meet the Movie Press, which is on the Popcorn Talk Network as well. And that is on 9 a.m. on Fridays. And then you can also catch me on Sunday at Black Tomatoes on Black Hollywood Live. And that's at 5 p.m. with Carla Renata. Thank you so much for watching. Like, comment, subscribe. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Keep watching. Next week... We will be back. It will be me, my wife, and Scott Mance, another Scott M. <laughs> and we will be back next week with another show. So take, take care and see you soon. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.